Hello and welcome to The Comover, a podcast from The Combination, a programme made in Northern Ireland but not necessarily about Northern Ireland. My name's Morris McCartney and in this series I'll be talking to activists, academics and others and coming over issues of grassroots democracy, equality, sustainability and whatever else comes up in conversation. In this episode, I talk to Tiziana O'Hara, who works to help in the development of cooperatives in Northern Ireland through the organisation Cooperative Alternatives, and to Ellie Perrin, who's also been working with Cooperative Alternatives and who is currently researching the cooperative movement in Northern Ireland for her PhD thesis. Good evening, Ellie and Tiziana. Nice to see you, even if we're doing this virtually. So, how are you doing? Fine, thank you for having yep. us. You're thank very you. welcome. And thank you very much. I've been wanting to do a programme about um, cooperatives for some time, but of course, in fact, we were even talking about it in, what was it, February or something? And uh, and then, of course, we all went into lockdown, so didn't really get the chance. But now we've mastered the art of uh, online recording. So, um, so thank you very much for coming along. I guess the first thing to do then, maybe if you could introduce yourselves so that, you know, we know who you are and, and what you do. Um, Ellie, do you want to start? Yes, of course. Um, so my name is Ellie Perrin. Um, I'm a PhD student in the University of Liverpool. And for around the past three years now, I've been doing research on cooperatives in Northern Ireland, especially focusing on worker co-ops in and around Belfast. Um, and that's very much because I used to live in Northern Ireland and I worked in one of those cooperatives and I worked with cooperatives, so I knew about them before. And at the moment, I'm doing a bit of a break in my research to work with cooperative alternatives to draw up policy recommendations to support the development of the sector. Good, and that brings us to, to nice and neatly to uh, Tiziana, of course. Um, I'm Tiziana O'Hara. I work uh, for an organization called the Cooperative Alternatives. Cooperative Alternatives is an organization entirely dedicated to the development of cooperatives in Northern Ireland. Um, we kind of started in 2013 and we're still going trying to help groups to explore cooperatives uh, structures. Um, my position within the organization is uh, that of a practitioner. I go out and help cooperatives to set up. I guess um, before we get into the, the meat of the thing and find out what the situation is for cooperatives in Northern Ireland, it would be a good idea to get a, a better idea of what cooperatives are, what distinguishes a cooperative from a you know run-of-the-mill enterprise. Um, Ellie, obviously, with your academic hat on, maybe you could... Uh, yeah, if you want... I was going to give a very simple definition, maybe, you know, in kind of um, in, in very accessible terms. I think you could define a cooperative as a business that is democratically controlled and run by its members. Um, and that means different things. That means a worker cooperative is going to be run by, you know, the people who work in that organization. It could be a cooperative shop where the consumers of that particular shop own the shop and make decisions over it. But the important word here is democratic, because it follows the principle of one member, one vote. And that's what distinguishes it uh, from a conventional enterprise, probably the most. Um, I know that Titiana will talk more about the definition, um, but I just wanted to maybe put it in, in very simple terms. In Ireland, obviously, we have a prevalence of agricultural cooperatives 
and credit unions, but you find that cooperatives across the world will share similar values and principles. Um, Tiziana, do you want to expand on? And, and it's true. I mean, I completely agree with the, with the Ellie. Um, and what the cooperative globally share is a, a common definition. And this definition was kind of is a safe kept by the International Cooperative Alliance and since 1995. And it describes, yes, a democratically controlled enterprise, jointly owned, but also autonomous and independent, and very much born out of the needs and demands of the communities where they are actually set up. So there is a great connection in this definition between needs, people, and democracy. And that's what really makes uh, this kind of enterprise very special. And um, we always say that companies are practically made up by capital, instead of cooperatives are made up by people. And that's one of the main, main differences. Also, <laughs> what we have recognized in the course of all this year, the cooperative history is a long, it's a much longer than 1995. It started in Rochdale in 1844, if you know. And um, in the last 150 years, we developed the values of uh, cooperation and the principle of cooperation. So there are seven particular uh, principles that cooperative all share. And the, the principles are very simple, and all cooperatives, no matter if they are workers' cooperatives, housing cooperatives, or consumer cooperatives, they all have it. So the principle one is that they have to have a voluntary and open membership. They have to have a principle two, democratic member control. The principle three, it's about member economic participation, so there has to be a trade in some sort. They needed to be autonomy independent, and that maybe makes them quite different from charitable organization because the autonomous and independent independency it's it's about uh, make your own kind of profit and then do and decide what you want to do with your own profit, and the members usually do that at the AGM. Principle five is about education and training and information that is very very important for a, for a cooperative enterprise educate and share your learning through your membership. And then the principle six and seven are external principles. One is about cooperation among cooperatives that maybe we can talk about a bit more later on. And number seven, so, so um, relevant today, it's concern for the community. All cooperatives are community-minded. Most of the cooperatives will do something for the community. They are set in. So they are really, really interesting organizations. So they, they are quite different. And the main, the main difference, and me and Ellie always try to, to say we both come from Europe. The main difference is that cooperatives really are based on solidarity values. And um, so we are, we are more for solidarity than for charity. And solidarity yes. is such a big, a big word in the cooperative world. Um, like uh, mutual aid, solidarity, self-help. So all those yes. are value, are, in, are, are enshrined in cooperatives. It's a good distinction, um, the distinction between a charity and, and solidarity. Um, perhaps we'll, we'll come back to that at, at some point. 
In terms of uh, cooperatives in Northern Ireland, what sort of a size and scope uh, does the sector have in, in Northern Ireland? Are there many cooperatives at work in Northern Ireland? And what sort of different kinds of cooperatives are there? First of all, we have to, uh, to consider that our interest in cooperative alternatives has been very much in like Ellie. With Will Ellie, we have that in common. It's that we are very much focused on the emerging cooperative sector. So can we divide maybe... Um, in, in, to answer, in order to answer your question, to the traditional cooperative sectors that they are quite well established, like the agricultural st- uh, sector in, in, uh, in Ireland has been quite predominant uh, in, uh, in more than a century, absolutely. And then the credit union sector in the finance uh, has been uh, really well established uh, since the 1960s, practically, in, in particular in Northern Ireland. But uh, the emerging sectors are the ones that interest us. And uh, those are the ones that are more difficult to kind of to nurture. But uh, <laughs> fun enough, and uh, um, they are coming from sectors that maybe, maybe the pioneers wouldn't even have a thought about it. And uh, some of them are very much about energy and environmental cooperatives because they do answer now a very strong need of communities to maybe look at how we produce, how we consume energy. So in Northern Ireland we had the two very interesting um, community energy cooperatives. We also had the very interesting cooperatives in the sports and recreational sector. Um, we had the Balimakash that is experimenting with a cooperative form, how to be, you know, a, a, an organization that is owned by the fan of a football uh, team. And, um, and we have uh, a very strong presence of food and artisan production cooperatives. Love Works, Lacada, Belfast Food Coop, they are all about food. So you can see that the emerging sector is a bit different than the traditional sectors, not only in size, not only in, uh, in existence, you know, in terms of years that they are on the scene, but also in the sector, in the industries where they are located. One of the emerging sectors that we don't have yet as yet explored fully are housing and social care, but they have an enormous potential. And uh, we will think we will hope that they will come up soon, some of these cooperatives, um, addressing exactly those needs. So there are signs of uh, movement in, in, those, in those sectors, you think, in, in the care industry and in housing? Yeah, yes. Yeah, there are uh, more and more demands on understanding where a cooperative structure, how a cooperative structure can help uh, more um, affordable and uh, democratic housing and uh, also social care. And uh, in social care in particular, we had uh, quite uh, a few demands from from groups that they wanted to organize themselves and provide themselves with a more um, kind of more fairer, fairer work and employment. Because as you know, social care is one of the sector in which 
before even the emergency, the COVID emergency, we knew that social care is one of the least paid, the least considerate um, here. So, yeah. so yes, we had the demand. We we don't have yet a cooperative working. Run. Sometimes it takes more than you know a few months to mm. develop from the idea to the cop. It'll be interesting to see how the the COVID uh, emergency affects these things because I think there are signs at any rate that at least in in some people's minds there's a, a bit of a revaluation going on, a revaluation of what are the you know what are the important jobs and roles in, in society. And I think I think Ellie Ellie research was very timely, especially workers cooperative. I think Ellie can say something about the importance of workers cooperative now. Yeah. That'll be good. Yes, of course. Um, well, I started this research so it's nearly three years now, but the focus was very much worker cooperatives. Also, I can talk about other cooperatives that I have interviewed. And it's very much a qualitative research, so we say it's ethnographically focused. And what I mean by that is uh, that I did observation and observed, you know, the day-to-day activities of the co-op. I tried to work with them, and I also conducted in-depth interviews. Um, and I've worked with around 10 uh current and former worker cooperatives in, in and around Belfast. So if I can give you two examples, I think, because to, to, um, it kind of helps us understand cooperatives. The, one of the participants was the Belfast Cleaning Cooperative, which was set up in 2011 on an interface, on the Springfield Road interface in West Belfast, and which brings together women from both sides of that peace line. Um, it's a living wage organization, which I think is very important to mention. It actually won the Living Wage Award, I think it was in 2016. And that's in competition with um, businesses like IKEA, so I think it's quite important. It's providing um, employment for 14 workers. And very much I think there is an intention to provide decent employment, not only in a deprived area, but also in an industry that's quite challenging, that is dominated by precarious working conditions, precarious work. Um, another similar example is, you know, as, as um, Titiana has mentioned, is LoveWorks, which yet again is on an interface in North Belfast on Duncan Gardens. Um, it provides a bike repair service and uh, sells second-hand bikes, a gardening service as well, and has an organic bakery. And a few months before the crisis, they actually opened a cafe in the Duncairn on the Entrim Road. Um, and I think, again, this is an example of a project that is trying to bring life back to not only a deprived, but also a very divided area and uh, foster, I think, well-being and dignity, not just for the community, but for its workforce. Um, some of its workforce would have experienced, you know, poor mental health, addictions, criminal convictions. Uh, but it's also an idea of providing alternative employment to very much, you know, precarious work and to a lack of opportunities that a lot of young people face. Um, these are only two examples, but I think they're quite important because if we think about worker cooperatives in Belfast, I don't think a lot of people will think that they actually know worker cooperatives. You know, you, you had a few years ago a taxi firm that was actually a worker cooperative. You had a tapas cafe that was a worker cooperative. You still have today around, uh, you have an organic and feminist craft cooperative Harterish, you have Creative Workers, which is a media company, um, and you also have Blackwater Valley, which provides organic soil and compost. So you have quite a variety of cooperatives that people just simply don't know about, and there is very much an oversight 
So I think this research was very important to bring them out of their invisibility. A very good point. And on the word invisibility, I was actually going to just ask you, because I pick up that there was the women of the Belfast Cleaning Cooperative. There, You mentioned a, a feminist group who was involved in, in setting one up. And it seems that there's a sort of... Um, uh, whether it's an underlying or, or it's a central part of it, I don't know what way you want to say it, but there's a, a issue of gender power and gender equality, if you like, um, empowerment, which uh, I think is a, is a key issue to pick up on. So, Yes, I think, I mean, all the work with the worker cooperatives, I can go back to the benefits, I think, of cooperation here, is, as you mentioned, gender empowerment is obviously one of them, but also social empowerment, community empowerment, in a wider sense and you find that the I mean the cooperatives I have worked with and obviously I'm not saying that it's always generalizable uh, are challenging sectarianism as well they're sustaining decent employment and I think that's quite important so we see them emerging first of all out of a desire for social empowerment that's why I think that word is quite important and that's the way they talk about it themselves with trying to uh, get control over their working conditions to provide decent work but you also see cooperatives emerging with alternative values and ethics, trying to foster anti-consumerism, environmentally friendly practices. Even when they are not necessarily, you know, uh, an energy cooperative, for example, they will they will usually thrive to provide environmentally friendly products. Um, and one last aspect as well is that they kind of foster visions that are sometimes fundamentally anti-capitalist anti-patriarchal, anti-sectarian. So there are some very radical projects as well in certain ways where they create those alternative spaces which are very much in opposition to uh, the neoliberal peace process that we see in Northern Ireland. And I thought that was, that was very important. Um, that's some of the reason why they set up. If we look at what they produce and the outcome that they have, they have both economic and social, uh, both an economic and social contribution to make. And I found I was quite surprised to see a common purpose towards a culture of care, um, towards what we call therapeutic practices, so towards healing, and that can be fostering dignity uh, through work, you know, fostering pride, but that's also offering sometimes a safe space to address the legacy of the conflict. And when there is research that shows that the biggest interface in Northern Ireland is still the workplace, where a significant number of employees are reporting sectarian intimidation and harassment, I think this is really something we need to consider. Um, so I'm not saying that cooptives are a panacea and that they can sort everything, but there's very much a lot of benefits. Um, and I think that's not just worker cooptives, actually. I'm sure Titiana uh, will talk about this. Maybe that's just you know to lead on to the work of Titiana. That was one of the things I was very much surprised about. Um, I was interested in worker co-ops, but when I started interviewing other emerging co-ops, um, even some long-standing co-ops or established co-ops in the agricultural movement, the credit unions, the craft beer cooperatives, I really found the same drive towards social justice um, and towards enacting economic practices that are socially and environmentally um, sustainable and ethical. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. It does sound like a, a wonderful, um, important uh, sector. Um, I wonder, Tiziana, is it flourishing? Is it struggling? Uh, are there support mechanisms in place? Does the established, uh, uh, the assembly and, and the city council and so forth, do they provide support? So 
the, the, the reason why we, we, we set up uh, cooperative alternatives was uh, really because uh, there was no specialized help to address uh, the needs uh, of a group that wanted to do things in a cooperative way. I mean, we are quite well conditioned uh, nowadays by the education, by society, uh, in thinking that in order to succeed in a society, you have to do it by yourself. This notion of entrepreneurship is very dominant. So when you have a group of people that actually decide to go down the collective approach, then you kind of are not looking around and see a lot of uh, help coming in your direction because everything is directed to the individual everything is individualistic instead when we are when we are intervening with groups we are trying to foster the collectivism the decision making is becoming um, a decision making of a group we are teaching cooperative skills that goes from, you know, how how we can actually make a decision by consensus, and how we can help each other, uh, taking responsibility and be accountable for the decision. Because in these structures, we are all co-owners. We are all equal. We are one member, one vote. Our voice counts. And we needed to um, help the groups to find their voice because this is not the way we have been educated, really. So it, there is a lot of the work that we needed to do with the group to develop the cooperative skills. And that was the reason why we set up a cooperative alternatives because those skills were not really uh, developed by all the mainstream uh, organization to build that are help and support the business um, but in all our time on the scene uh, we haven't received uh, the support that unfortunately uh, still goes in the mainstream business support so we haven't received any kind of help from central government. Now, in the last couple of years, we saw a change in one local authority. So at local authority level, we, we see that they started to appreciate maybe uh, more the diversity of the sector. I agree with Ellie, not everything has to be cooperative. But cooperative needs to be supported in order to flourish. And um, so in a one local authority, we have some kind of uh, uh, programs in which we can develop cooperatives alongside other type of business. Um, but it's not only that. The, the, the main issue for us now is about uh, uh, building the capacity also in others. You know, we want uh, cooperatives uh, um, being um, supported by many other people and it's kind of difficult to, to find the practitioners that they wanted to to work with the cooperatives uh, so it's a still we, we are not over the hurdles of a lack of support by government lack of support or interest by people I think that there is still a lot of uh, awareness raising and um, is necessary and education as well. Um, 
So we, we hopefully need that's uh, hopefully that's where um, the combination can <laughs> come in at least to to push you know a little bit to try to highlight and and uh, shine a light. You used the well, I think it was Ellie who said about invisibility earlier on, and I think that's one thing that I think we're keen to do here is to try to shine a light on some of these great practices. And certainly, yeah, there's perhaps not a massive amount of support from uh, government coming in, but it seems to me that the cooperative movement is is about the kind of do-it-yourself culture anyway, you know, so there's a sense in which it's very much grassroots-driven, a bit like the punk movement, a bit like democracy itself, really. Um, so and and in that in that respect, if you wanted to quantify some of that, if if I may say so, when uh, when we ran the community share program, that was a, a program to raise finance to start a cooperative. I mean, we were able to raise almost a million of pounds, nine hundred and fifty thousand community shares through ten share offer in Northern Ireland. So yes, the self-help uh, spirit is uh, alive and it's uh, definitely what we rely on. But that uh, is not enough yeah. if we then um, get a world that is hostile to cooperative and collaboration. We yes. need to change and shift the culture that is around these cooperatives. Also, uh, one of our principles is collaboration among cooperatives, and that's another big important part of it. You know, how do we interconnect the traditional sector with the emerging sector? How do we interconnect the, the emerging sector with their communities? How do we build those assets that they can stay with us? So I guess... I yeah, I would I would really agree with Tiziana here that obviously this is about self-help, but this is not also about letting communities pull themselves by the collective bootstrap either. You know, there is a need for accountability. And I think it'd be really unfair to just, you know, to portray the kind of cooperative journey as an easy one. A lot of the cooperatives have said how hard it is, and this is very much a hostile environment. It's harder to set up a cooperative here than probably anywhere else, and it's harder to set up a cooperative rather than any other organization. So it's not a plain level field, and I think that's important to mention. So while, yes, we might say, you know, the cooperative movement needs to support itself, it also needs support, support from either through the legislation or um, access to finance. So that, that is important. and. We're seeing, we're seeing a move now towards looking at the social economy. But in many countries, the social economy is the social and solidarity economy. And it is defined by cooperatives. Whether you look at Spain, France, Italy, Quebec, this is what we're talking about. So if we are looking at an economy that puts into um, the center of it, that is people-centered and that look at the benefit of the wider community, then we need to look at cooperatives as well. We need to look at ways in which we can transform the way we work, the way we live, the way we consume, and cooperatives can very much do that. And as Titiana is saying, I think this is a moment for opportunities where we're looking at the role of cooperatives not just on their own, but as part of community uh, wealth building, as part of community strategies to root profit locally and to make the local community the first beneficiary of the economic policy. So I think this is very important. Very, very interesting. I think that also sort of taps into uh, what we were talking about earlier in terms of this notion of a great revaluation. 
It seems to me there's a lot of organisations at the minute who are producing very interesting suggestions, policy suggestions. There's a lot of interest. There's a real, there's a, a sort of an energy behind alternatives to the mainstream dominant paradigm, economic paradigm. And uh, there's a phrase that I know John Barry, for example, has been using, um, build back better. We don't want to go back to the way things were before because that was what led to the problem in the first place. Um, so there's a, a lot of energy. Um, people are excited that, yes, this is a crisis and it's awful and there's lots of terrible things happening, but it's exposing weaknesses, problems, systematic problems with the old paradigm. And this may be a, a moment, a ripe moment to bring about change. I get the feeling that you are moving in that direction as well in terms of the way you're looking at the cooperative movement. So perhaps that's a, a moment to, I mean, that was a long way of getting to a question, <laughs> which is basically how is the sector uh, coping under the lockdown? Um, how do they go forward uh, from here? What way do we, how do you see the future for the cooperative movement in Northern Ireland? Tiziana. Um can I can I take it in two in two bits? Uh, how the sector is uh, coping with the emergency, and then how the sector will maybe look in the fu- in the future. Uh, the emergency has put a, a lot of strain into the sector. I mean, like everybody else. But again, because we are so marginal, uh, uh, government was not supportive. I remember. Uh, I read um, the first um, uh, survey conducted by Cooperatives UK in April. Uh, a good 17% of cooperatives were saying uh, that they were not eligible to any kind of support from government. So here you can see that systemic issues are uh, actually uh, very real, becomes very real when it comes to, to recognize organizations like cooperatives and their needs. So, needs not met by the system. But, uh, and, and that's a, that was at the beginning, and then of course uh, the government has a kind of changed, but still there is a reluctance to understand that uh, economy and society are um, two faces of the same coin. You cannot divide that. And uh, because the cooperatives have uh, that uh, at their core, you know, they are businesses, but they are businesses made of people, not of profit. Uh, They are actually, again, not considered at the same level of other businesses. So the system is not looking at, in our direction, favorably. Now, Maybe because the system doesn't have enough sophistication to look at the economy. And maybe this crisis is what has brought um, the attention to. This, the system needs to change. Yeah. So it's not the cooperatives. We are not going to change. We've always been there. We always had people at the center. We always had our principles. It's just the system is coming to our direction, I think. And... Uh, and in, in that respect, I think the future is looking like there are two lines and they are, thank God, converging in the same direction. That people is part of the economy, makes the economy. They are not two separate things. And 
I I always uh, remember, um, you know, John Barry. I, I'm a big fan of, of him as everybody else in Northern Ireland. What can I say? <laughs> and he always say economy is a political economy. It's about political decision. It's about political choices. And I completely agree. And there was a political decision, a political choice that sometimes, a long time ago, that cooperatives were not the favorite of, uh, of the economic uh, landscape. Uh, actually, and they, they even introduced uh, some kind of wording like uh, social enterprises to confuse even more the um, or obfuscate the landscape of possibilities. So it's now go through the fog see the convergence between what the cooperative sector have been doing for 150 years, brings people at the center, building wealth, that it doesn't mean necessarily, you know, increasing, uh, you know, wages. Building wealth means uh, re, re, re kind of repossessing spaces, work situation, opportunities, regenerate, all that, and then uh, progress together. So maybe I'm a bit uh, partial, but this is the way I see. And now, now people are coming on our side. Yeah. Ellie, you think that's the case there? People are going to come around? Yeah, I mean, I think, as you said, I mean, the crisis exposes like the uh, inadequacies of the system that we live in. And um, especially if you just think about, you know, our essential workers or key workers, as you call them, and you think about, you know, the workers that we really rely on to survive are so undervalued, undervalued. They have, you know, little control over their working conditions, which are exploitative, but they're so underpaid. And I'm thinking that, you know, Alice McLaren from the cleaning co-op would have said for years now that, you know, if you took cleaners out, we would notice because they're so important to society and yet they're, they're paid so little. So that's a debate that the worker cooperatives have engaged with for, for quite a while. Another, I think, aspect of this crisis is looking at how we make economic decisions and how the economic decisions that are made at the moment, where we really don't have a say over them, fundamentally affect us. And if we think, if we were to take climate change or the climate crisis, you know, as seriously as we take, you know, the, the, the COVID-19 crisis, and it's important to take it very seriously, but we realize that we actually have the means to transform the way, the way we live and the way we consume to um, to really put out a kind of narrative that is about a much more sustainable and just economy. And I think cooperatives have a role to play in that very much. Yes, so. I think in, in regard to the, the the transition to a more sustainable and equitable economy, I think you said it right at the start, it's about democracy. It's about democratising the economy. Uh, certainly it seems to me that at the minute the, the model we have at the minute is, is about plutocracy. It's about the people with the wealth. They use their wealth to accumulate more power. They use their power to accumulate more wealth. And there's a sort of a, a dynamic that, well, I've used the phrase before, that cranks the wealth and the power to the top by putting pressure down at the people at the bottom. And certainly seems to me that the cooperative movement is, is one that uh, turns those dynamics on their side and starts to spread the wealth and the power out horizontally amongst the people. So thank you very much for, for talking us through those, those issues and for all your insights. We will have to get back together again if 
the lockdown is lifted, we can do it face to face. If not, we can maybe get back together on screen a couple of months down the line and find out how things have changed, how things are developing, and maybe start thinking about uh, how we could bring about some concrete steps to move towards the, the goals that you've outlined. So thank you very much again. Thank you. Thank you very much. For more on the issues discussed in this programme, visit thecombination.org.uk. Follow us on at combination underscore NI and subscribe to the Comover podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.